0: The 2018 American College of Cardiology and American Heart Association cholesterol guidelines state that statin medications are recommended first-line treatment for primary and secondary prevention of cardiovascular disease, including patients with diabetes and those with severe hypercholesterolemia. Occasionally, a statin medication may not be enough and an additional LDL-lowering medication may be necessary. Today, Dr. Seth Kriha, a pharmacist at Mayo Clinic Health System in Mankato, reviews the landmark clinical trials of PCSK9 inhibitors and highlights a novel medication called inclisiran for treatment of drug-resistant hypercholesterolemia.
1: The leading cause of mortality in America is cardiovascular disease, claiming 65,000 lives a year. According to the World Health Organization, it is also estimated that elevated cholesterol causes 2.6 million deaths and accounts for 29.7 million disability-adjusted life years. Although many patients are treated with first-line medications to reach their goal cholesterol levels, it is important to be familiar with additional pharmacologic options for treatment-resistant hypercholesterolemia to help our patients reach their goal and reduce their risk of cardiovascular events. After this presentation, you'll be able to describe guideline-recommended treatment to reduce LDLC. Evaluate landmark clinical trials of novel therapeutic agents indicated for treatment-resistant hypercholesterolemia. And develop a pharmacologic care plan for a patient with treatment-resistant hypercholesterolemia. Here's the index of the many abbreviations you will hear me use throughout this presentation. As I previously stated, the leading cause of mortality in America is cardiovascular disease and claims almost 65,000 lives a year. Elevated cholesterol levels increase the risk for heart disease, which is the leading cause of death and the fifth leading cause of stroke in the United States. Almost 12% of adults 20 years and older had a, cholesterol, had a total cholesterol of greater than 240 milligrams per deciliter between 2015 and 2018. Average serum cholesterol is 191 milligrams per deciliter for adults 20 years and older, and an optimal total cholesterol level is 150, as this equates to an LDL level of 100. 17% had a high-density lipoprotein level of below 40. As there's no current evidence of an established protective role for high-density lipoprotein in ASCVD, there is is evidence that elevated cholesterol levels are associated with an increased risk for ASCVD. The AHA-ACC guidelines state that goal elevated, uh, state that goal total cholesterol is less than 150 milligrams per deciliter, which correlates to an LDL of around 100. If LDL is elevated, it can invade dysfunctional vascular endothelium. Once the LDL is inside the endothelium, it reduces, uh, it recruits macrophages that engulf the LDL particles. The macrophages take up the LDL particles and become foam cells. Foam cells cause oxidative stress and secrete more inflammatory cytokines that turn into plaques, plaque growth. The plaques lead to narrowing of the arteries and can eventually rupture. If the plaque ruptures, it can lead to ischemic and thrombotic consequences, consequences such as stroke and embolism. This brings us to our first, first patient case. M.K. is a 64-year-old male who presents to the clinic for an MTM visit and cholesterol management for his hypercholesterolemia. His past medical history includes obesity, hypertension, 20-pack-year smoker, with a BMI of 34. His labs, he has a serum creatinine of 0.95, creatinine clearance of 89, blood pressure 139 over 82, and all other labs within uh, within normal limits. He has a family history of premature ASCVD, and his lipid panel is as follows. He's currently on aspirin, lisinopril, and metoprolol. So, which of the following is an appropriate guideline-recommended treatment for this patient's hypercholesterolemia? A. Atorvastatin 20 uh, milligrams daily with lifestyle interventions. B. Simvastatin 40 daily. C. Ezetimibe 10 milligrams daily. Or D. Rosuvastatin 40 milligrams daily with lifestyle interventions. You can respond via poll everywhere, or um, via texting in. I would agree with the majority here that D, rosuvastatin 40 milligrams by mouth daily with lifestyle interventions is the correct answer. This patient has severe hypercholesterolemia with an LDL of 203. Also has multiple high-risk conditions, such as his age, hypertension, and is a current smoker. This brings us into the initial treatment of hypercholesterolemia. The first step in treating hy- hypercholesterolemia includes non-pharmacologic treatment and lifestyle modifications for those at risk for ACBD. The guidelines recommend eating a healthy diet that should can consist of vegetables, fruits, whole grains, legumes, protein from healthy sources, such as low-fat dairy products, low-fat poultry, nuts, use non-tropical vegetable oils, such as canola oil, and limit intake of sweets and sugar, and limit intake of red meat. Exercise is also an important factor in de- reducing cholesterol and ASCVD risk. The guidelines recommend at least 40 minutes of aerobic exercise three to four times a week involving moderate to vigorous intensity activity. Eating a healthy diet and exercise is to reduce metabolic syndrome and risk factors for ASCVD. Metabolic syndrome, which are risk factors that can increase risk for ASCVD, diabetes, and all-cause death. Metabolic syndrome itself is a risk-enhancing factor for ASCVD. The first-line medication for reduction of LDL cholesterol are statin medications. Statins are competitive inhibitors of HMG-CoA reductase, which is the rate-limiting step in cholesterol synthesis. Common adverse effects include hepatic injury, muscle-related side effects uh, such as myalgia, myopathy, or rhabdomyolysis, GI side effects, and headache. When patients are on statins, we want to monitor creatinine kinase, liver enzymes such as AST and ALT, total bilirubin, and alkaline phosphatase in those with signs of hepatotoxicity. The guidelines recommend ezetimibe as second-line and add-on therapy. Ezetimibe inhibits absorption of cholesterol in the small intestine. It is generally well-tolerated, Um, but has adverse effects such as hepatic injury and those muscle-related side effects, such as myalgia, myopathy, and rhabdomyolysis. Monitoring includes signs and symptoms of myopathy, a lipid panel, CPK, and our liver enzymes. The guidelines recommend bile acid sequestrants and fibrates as additional add-on therapy. Bile acid sequestrants decrease absorption and increase fecal loss of bile salt-bound LDL. Fibrates activate peroxisome proliferator-activated receptor alpha, resulting in an elimination of triglycerides, LDL, and synthesis of APOA1, APOA3, and HDL. The 2018 AHA-ACC guidelines present four different patient management groups with specific criteria and LDL goals. The benefit groups include severe hypercholesterolemia, which is an LDL of greater than 190. This includes patients 20 to 75 years of age with an LDL of greater than 190, and the main goal is to reduce LDL by 50%. Another patient benefit group is adults with diabetes. This includes patients 40 to 75 years of age with diabetes and an LDLC between 70 and 189. Again, the goal is to reduce our LDL by 50%. The third patient benefit group is primary prevention. This is for 40 to 75 years of age with an LDL-C level between 70 and 189. The LDL goal for primary prevention is split up by risk. If the patient has a 10-year ASUD risk of greater than 20, a goal of reduction of LDLC by 50% is recommended. And if they have an ASCVD risk of 7.5 to 19.9 with risk enhancing factors, the guidelines recommend a reduction of LDLC of at least 30 to 49%. And lastly, secondary prevention. This is with patients with clinical ASCVD, which I will get more into later in this presentation. And again, the goal is to reduce LDL by 50%. Before we get into each of the patient management groups, I wanted to briefly present the different stat medications and their intensities. As you can see here, we currently only have two high-intensity statins: atorvastatin 40 to 80 and rosuvastatin 20 to 40. A 10-year ACUD risk is calculated for those 40 to 79, or a lifetime risk for ages 20 to 59. ASCVD risk uh, is defi- low risk is defined as less than 5%, borderline risk is 5 to 7.4%. Intermediate risk is 7.5 to 19.9, and high risk is uh, greater than 20%. The American uh, College of Cardiology does have a website that's often used to help calculate this ASCVD risk. They also created a phone app for On The Go um, to also help calculate this ASCVD risk. It is calculated based on current age, sex, race, systolic-diastolic blood pressure, total cholesterol, HDL-LDL history of diabetes, smoking status, and if the patient's on hypertension treatment, statin therapy, or aspirin therapy. Clinical ASCPD, defined by the guidelines, is acute coronary syndrome, history of MI, stable or unstable angina or coronary other arterial revascularization, stroke, transient ischemic attack, peripheral arterial disease, including aortic aneurysm. The first patient management group defined by 2018 AHA-ACC cholesterol management guidelines is those with severe hypercholesterolemia. As I previously mentioned, the goal is to reduce LDL by 50%. For this patient population, the guidelines recommend patients be on a maximum tolerated statin. If the patients are not at goal and LDL-C remains greater than 100, guidelines recommend to add on ezetimibe. Patients still not at goal and with fasting uh, triglycerides of 300 more uh, or lower on a statin and ezetimibe, the guidelines recommend addition of a bile acid sequestrant may be considered. For heterozygous familial hypercholesterolemia and LDL-C levels greater than 100, onostatin and ezetimibe, addition of a PCSK9 inhibitor is recommended. And lastly, an LDL-220 of or greater and onostatin and ezetimibe, again, addition of a PCSK9 inhibitor can be considered. The next patient management group is patients with diabetes. Again, the goal is to reduce LDL by greater than 50%. If the patient has diabetes, regardless of ACVD risk, a moderate intensity statin is recommended. Patients with diabetes and an LDL between 70 and 189, the guidelines recommend to assess 10-year risk of first ASCVD event. If a patient has multiple high risk, uh, risk factors, the guidelines recommend a high intensity statin. If the patient is on a, uh, has a 10-year ACV risk greater than 20% and on a high intensity statin, the guidelines recommend to add on ezetimibe. Adults 20 to 39, so in the younger population, uh, with risk-enhancing risk, infa- risk enhancing factors, it may be reasonable to initiate a statin therapy. Some of the diabetes-specific r- risk enhancers include patients with diabetes type 2 for greater than 10 years or type 1 diabetes for greater than 20, an albuminuria of greater than or equal to 30 micrograms of albumin per milligram of creatinine, an EGFR of less than 60, retinopathy, neuropathy, and an ankle brachial index of less than 0.9. For the primary prevention patient management group, again, as I previously mentioned, the goals are split by ASCVD risk. If the patient has an ASCVD risk of greater than 7.5 but less than 20, it's considered intermediate and our goal is to reduce LDL by 30 to 49%. ASCVD risk greater than 20% considered high risk, we want to reduce our LDL by 50%. Those with low risk and with an ASCVD risk of less than 5, the guidelines recommend lifestyle interventions. If more intermediate risk and risk infa- risk enhancing factors, the guidelines recommend a moderate intensity statin. And if the patient is high risk, we wanna start our patients on high intensity statin. The box on the right shows our ASVD risk enhancers, such as family history of premature ASCVD, chronic kidney disease, persistent elevated triglycerides of greater 175 and more. I wanted to briefly touch on familial hypercholesterolemia. Familial hypercholesterolemia is an autosomal dominant condition If the patients are heterozygous for familial hypercholesterolemia, that means they have one normal allele and one mutated allele. If they're homozygous, it means they have two mutated alleles. In a patient without a genetic mutation or familial hypercholesterolemia, the apolipoprotein B ligand helps LDL cholesterol bind to the LDL receptor. It then gets taken back up into the hepatocyte and the LDL receptor gets recycled back to the cell surface. In a genetic mutation in the LDL receptor, the LDLC does not bind to a mutated LDL receptor, which results in accumulation of LDLC circulation in the blood. If the genetics result in familial hypercholesterolemia due to a mutation in APO lipoprotein B, the dysfunction of APOB results in decreasing binding of LDLC to that LDL receptor, which also results in accumulation of LDL circulating in the blood. Lastly, if there is a mutation in protein convertase, uh, subtilisin kexin type 9, or PCSK9, leading to its increase, the PCSK9 binds to the LDL receptor, leading to no LDL receptor recycling and eventually LDL receptor degradation, again, resulting in accumulation of LDL in circulation. The guidelines recommend to be optimized on a statin, ezetimibe, and a PCSK9 inhibitor. The last patient management group is secondary prevention for those who have clinical ASCVD. The main goal is to achieve an LDL reduction of at least 50%. Initially, it is important to stratify risk as either not very high risk ASCVD or very high risk ASCVD. The guidelines recommend to start a high intensity statin and if that's intolerable due to side effects or other reasons, a mod- switch to a moderate intensity statin. If the patient's not a goal and their LDL continues to be elevated above 70, the guidelines recommend to add on azetamide. If uh, the guidelines also recommend addition of a PCSK9 inhibitor, if the cost benefit is favorable. In the elderly population with clinical ASCVD, greater than 75 years, the guidelines recommend a moderate or high intensity statin. And as I previously mentioned, clinical ASCVD is defined by these items in this box on the right. As I mentioned on the last side, with patients with uh, clinical ASCVD, you want to stratify risk as either ASCVD not very high risk or very high risk ASCVD. Those with very high risk ASCVD, the guidelines are, uh, which includes history of multiple major ASCVD, ASCVD events, so recent history uh, recent ACS within the past 12 months, history of MI, history of ischemic stroke, or symptomatic peripheral arterial disease, or one major event, so one of these items on the right, plus multiple high-risk conditions, um, so multiple of these on the left. In 2022, the ACC looked at providing practical guidelines for situations not covered by the 2018 AHA-ACC guidelines. Specifically, they looked at answering in what patient populations should newer non-statin therapies be considered, in what situations should newer non-statin therapies be considered, and which therapies should be considered, and in what order uh, to maximize patient benefit and preference. The 2022 ACC expert consensus was as follows: for patients with very high risk clinical ACVD and on stand therapy for secondary prevention, they recommend reducing goal of LDLC by 50, percent which is what the 2018 H uh, A ACC guidelines also recommended. But what's what they're recommending now is to reduce LDLC of less than 55 on a maximum of tolerated statin, which is different than the 2018 guidelines, which recommended an LDL goal of less than 70. They recommend to increase to a high-intensity statin if the patient's not already on one. And if they're still not at goal, this is where they say we can consider using ezetimibe and or a PCSK9 inhibitor, such as Evolacumab or alirocumab. PCSK9 monoclonal antibodies are the initial non-statin agent, in addition to other agents as needed for desired LDL-C reduction. They also mention that we can consider adding a glycerin or benpedoic acid. At times, additional therapy may, may be needed to further reduce LDL. In a retrospective analysis of 186,670 patients who had clinical ASCVD with an LDL greater than 70, only 20 per, 21% of those with ASCVD who increased statin therapy reached their goal of an LDL of less than 70. 23% of those with ASCVD who added azetamide to statin regimen reached the goal of less than 70. As we can see with those low percents, there's... Um, potential opportunity to continue to decrease our LDL and reach our goals. Since some of the newer non therapies are becoming recognized and recommended in guidelines, let's look at some of the treatment-resistant hypercholesterolemia landmark clinical trials. The landmark clinical trial for Evolocumab by Sabatine et al., titled Evolocumab and Clinical Outcomes in Patients with Cardiovascular Disease, also known as the Fourier trial, was a randomized, multinational, double-blind, placebo-controlled trial, including 27,564 patients. These patients were 40 to 85 years old with clinical ASCVD, had an LDL of greater than 70 or an HDL, non-HDLC of greater than 100, and were optimized on lipid-lowering regimens with an average LDL of 92. 69.3 were on high-intensity statin, 30.4 on a moderate-intensity statin, and 5.2 were also taking ezetimibe. In this study, clinical, uh, clinical, clinical ASCVD includes history of MI, non-hemorrhagic stroke, or symptomatic vascular peripheral arterial disease or other high cardiovascular risk criteria. And an optimized lipid lowering regimen uh, was on high intensity statin, um, but ha- uh, had to been at least a torvacent 20 milligrams daily or equivalent with or without ezetimibe. The patients were divided into evolocumab 140 milligrams sub-Q every two weeks or evolocumab 420 milligrams sub-Q monthly. The primary outcome was composite of CV death, MI, stroke, hospitalization for unstable angina, or coronary revascularization. Secondary outcomes included composite of cardiovascular death, MI, or stroke. The results of this trial showed that there was a significant reduction in LDL. The percent reduction in LDL at 48 weeks was 59% for the Evolacumab with a mean absolute LDL reduction of 56 milligrams per deciliter, both which were statistically significant with p-values of less than 0.001. When looking at the LDL reduction, Uh, at certain thresholds, we can see that in the Evolocumab group, the LDL was reduced to less than 70 in 87% of patients um, in the Evolocumab group versus 18% in placebo. Evolocumab also reduced LDL less than 40 in 67% of patients versus less than 1% in placebo and reduced LDL to less than 25 in 42% of patients versus 0.1% in placebo. Evolocumab showed significant, uh, statistically significant reduction at all thresholds in LDL with p-values less than 0.001. Here we have the results of the primary and secondary outcomes for the Fourier trial. The patients received Evolocumab 140 mg subcut every two weeks or Evolocumab 420 mg subcut monthly, had lower rate for the primary endpoints of cardiovascular death, MI, stroke, hospitalization for unstable angina or coronary revascularization, than placebo, with a hazard ratio of 0.85. The Evolocumab group had a relative risk reduction of 15% compared to placebo. Evolocumab also reduced the secondary outcomes of the composite of cardiovascular death, MI or stroke with a relative risk reduction of 20% compared to placebo. The number needed to treat for the primary outcome was 72. So 72 patients need to be treated in order for Evolocumab to prevent one patient from experiencing the primary outcomes of cardiovascular death MI, stroke, hospitalization for unstable angina, or coronary revascularization. This brings us into our second assessment question. Based on the FOURIER trial, evolocumab 140 milligrams sub-Q every two weeks, or evolocumab 420 milligrams sub-Q monthly, was associated with a mean absolute reduction in LDL of approximately what percent? I would agree with those who chose B. The evolocumab group was associated with a mean reduction in LDL 56 milligrams per deciliter. And just to remind you, the Evolocumab also was associated with a 59% percent reduction in LDL. The landmark clinical trial for Elorocumab, another PCSK9 inhibitor titled Elorocumab and Cardiovascular Outcomes After Acute Coronary Syndrome by Schwartz et al., also known as the Odyssey Outcomes Trial. This was a randomized, multicenter, double-blind, placebo-controlled trial, including 18,924 patients. These patients were 40 years or older and had been hospitalized with acute coronary syndrome in the previous one to 12 months. HDL was greater than 70, non-HDL was greater than 100, and Apo or Apo lipoprotein B greater than 80. These patients were on a high intensity or maximally tolerated statin. 83% uh, had a, uh, presented with an MI, 6.8 unstable angina, and 88.8 receiving high intensity statin. The patients were randomized one to one. To either LRACIMEB 75 mg sub Q every two weeks or placebo. The primary, compos- or the p- primary outcome was composite of death from CHD, non fatal MI, fatal or non fatal ischemic stroke, or unstable angina requiring hospitalization. Secondary outcomes included any CHD event, major CHD event, any cardiovascular event, a composite of death from any cause, ischemia driven coronary revascularization procedure, and hospitalization for CHF. When looking at the LDL-C outcomes, uh, as we can see here, baseline LDL was ninety-two in both aloracimab and the placebo group. At four months, aloracimab reduced LDL to forty versus ninety-three in placebo, with a fifty-seven percent change. At twelve months, aloracimab reduced LDL to forty-eight, and um, placebo versus placebo at ninety-six, with a fifty percent change. And at forty-eight months, aloracimab kept LDL below. This is the goal of 70, at 66 compared to placebo at 103, with a 36% change. The patients who received aliracumab 75 mg sub-Q every two weeks had a lower rate of primary outcomes of composite death, CHD, non-fatal MI, fatal or non-fatal ischemic stroke, or unstable angina requiring hospitalization, with a 15% relative risk reduction compared to placebo. The secondary outcomes were also statistically significant, with the relative risk of 12% compared to placebo for any CHD event and major CHD event, 13% for any cardiovascular event, 14% for of death from any cause, non-fatal MI or non-fatal ischemic stroke, and 8% for death from uh, CHD. The landmark clinical trial for, trials for inclisiran, which is a small interfering RNA targeting PCSK9, are in phase 3 of their clinical trial. The first one I'm gonna talk about by Ray et al. is called the Orion 10. It's a randomized, double-blind, placebo-controlled trial, or phase three trial, including 1,561 patients. These patients had ASCVD and LDL greater than 70 at screening and were on stable doses of lipid-lowering therapies for 30 days before screening in almost 90% of patients. 68 were receiving a high-intensity statin, 9.9 using ezetimibe alone or in combination with the statin, and had a median baseline LDL of 104.7. The patients were placed on inclycerin 284 milligrams subcutaneously on day one, day 90, day 270, and day 450 versus placebo. The outcomes included placebo-corrected percent change in LDLC from baseline to day 510 and time-adjusted percent change in LDLC from baseline after day 90 and up to day 540. Secondary outcomes included an absolute change in LDL-C from baseline to 510, to day 510, time-adjusted absolute change in LDL LDL from baseline after day 90 and up to day 540, and the percent change from baseline to day 510 in levels of PCSK9, total cholesterol, ApoB, and non-HDLC. In the Orion 10 trial, there were two primary outcomes, placebo-corrected percent change in LDL-C from baseline to 510, and time adjusted percent change in LDLC from baseline after day 90 and up to day 540. At day 510, enclycerin reduced LDL by 52.3% and a time adjusted reduction of 53.8%, both which were statistically significant. For the secondary outcomes, the researchers saw an absolute change in LDLC from baseline to day 510 of 54.1 milligrams per deciliter and a time adjusted absolute change in LDLC from baseline after day 90 and up to day 540 of 53.3 milligrams per deciliter, and a percent change from baseline to day 510 in levels of PCSK9 of 83.3%, all of which were statistically significant with BVLs less than 0.001. Next we have the Orion 11. This was a randomized double-blind placebo-controlled phase 3 trial including 1,617 patients. These patients had ASCVD or an ASCVD risk equivalent. Patients in the ASCVD risk equivalent category had type 2 diabetes, familial hypercholesterolemia, or a 10-year risk of cardiovascular event of greater than or equal to 20%. The, their, the LDL is greater than 70 at screening and were on stable doses of lipid-lowering therapies for 30 days before screening in uh, 90, almost 95% of patients. 78% of patients receiving high-intensity statin 7.1 using azetamide alone or in combination with the statin, and a baseline LDL of 100.5. The patients were split into, again, 200, uh 284 milligrams sub-Q on day 1, day 90, day 270, and day uh, 450. And the outcomes, the primary and secondary outcomes, were the same as in the ORION 10 trial. At day 510, inclycerin reduced LDL by 49.9% and a time-adjust reduction by 49.2%, both which were statistically significant. For the secondary outcomes, the researchers saw an absolute change in LDLC from baseline to day 510 of 51.9 milligrams per deciliter, and a time-adjusted absolute change in LDLC from baseline after day 90, and up to day 540 of 48.9, and the percent change from baseline to day 510 in levels of PCSK9 of 79.3%, all st- statistically significant. Of note, the Orion-4 and Victorian-2P cardiovascular outcomes trials within clistern are underway with an expected end date of 2026 and 2027, respectively. Now, coming back to our patient, MK. MK came back to the clinic 12 weeks after being started on rosuvastatin. His lipid panel was still elevated and ezetimibe 10 milligrams daily was added. MK presents back to the clinic today, three months later, for checkup on his hypercholesterolemia. The patient's lipids are still elevated as shown below, and the patient expressed that he is willing to add additional medication to continue to lower his lipids, but would like a medication with the least number of injections. Based on the patient case, which of the following would be the most appropriate option to add on to MK's hypercholesterolemia regimen to lower LDL? I would agree with uh, everyone on this one. Um, a and B, evolocumab and l are sub-Q injections that would be appropriate, but they're every two weeks, and the patient preferred... To, uh, Medication with the least amount of injections. C, the correct answer, inclisiran, 284 milligrams sub Q initially, and then again three months, and then every six months thereafter, is the correct answer. And fetofibrate 54 milligram, is not at uh, recommended as additional therapy. Next, we will look a little more in depth at the new non-statin hypercholesterolemia medications. The first PCSK9 inhibitor I talked about is evolocumab. Evolacumab is an IgG2 monoclonal antibody that inhibits the binding of PCSK9 to the LDL receptor, which increases the number of LDL receptors to clear LDL from circulation in the blood. I've previously gone over the dosing. Adverse effects include injection site reactions, nasopharyngitis, upper respiratory tract infections, influenza, back pain, hypersensitivity reactions, and diabetes. Monitoring for evolocumab includes lipid panel and for hypersensitivity reactions. Pricing is there as listed, um, which is as you can see is elevated more than like what our generic normal um, first line and second line medications such as statins and azetamide would cost. The second non-statin medication we talked about is alirocumab. Alaracumab is an IgG1 monoclonal antibody that inhibits the binding of PCSK9 to LDL receptor, again, increasing the number of LDL receptors to clear LDL-C from circulation. As I mentioned, we've previously touched on the dosing. Adverse effects include injection site reactions, nasopharyngitis, influenza, upper respiratory tract infections, diarrhea, bronchitis, and myalgias. For alaracumab, it's important to monitor lipid panels, to see if we're reaching goal, and for hypersensitivity reactions. Again, LRACUMAB, a little more expensive than our uh, statin medication in anazetabib. And lastly, inclisiran, one of the new novel mechanism action, actions, it's a double-stranded, small interfering RNA. that in hepatocytes, utilizes the RNA interference mechanism and directs catalytic breakdown of mRNA for PCSK9. Of note, we've previously touched on the dosing, but I do wanna um, mention that this medication does need to be administered by a healthcare professional in the office. Adverse, and adverse events include injection site reactions, arthralgia, urinary tract infections, diarrhea, bronchitis, extremity pain, and dyspnea. And for inclisiran, it's important to monitor the limbic panel. And as this medication is very new, um, it, it, it is pretty expensive at the moment. Here are some of the takeaway clinical perils for non-statin options. evolocumab and Eloracumab are two PCSK9 inhibitors that are dosed every two weeks. Inclisiran, the small interfering RNA agent, which is dosed 284 milligrams, sub-Q initially, at three months, and then every six months thereafter. Of note, again, enclysterin does need to be administered um, by a healthcare professional. And in summary, the ACC AHA guidelines divide patients into four main patient management groups to control hypercholesterolemia, such as severe hypercholesterolemia, those with diabetes, primary and secondary prevention. Although statin medications are first-line to reduce LDL, there may be situations where additional LDL-lowering medications are necessary for those with drug-resistant hypercholesterolemia. And lastly, clinical trials such as the Fourier, Odyssey Outcomes, Orion 10, Orion 11 were landmark clinical trials that showed evidence for non-statin medications to reduce LDL and decrease the risk for cardiovascular events.
0: If you enjoyed this episode and want to hear more, subscribe using iTunes or your favorite podcasting app. Thank you for listening to Mayo Clinic Pharmacy Grand Rounds. Join us weekly for more exciting clinical pharmacology topics.